Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Welcome to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. And today I'm joined by Moira Fuller, who is a business coach and is going to give us more detail about her background. But Moira was actually my first guest on Start, Scale, Succeed. And now she is going to be the guest for episode 99. We're nearly at 100 episodes, which I, I can't believe, to be honest. But what we're going to be talking about today is Moira has recently sold her business. And we are going to be talking about that process, tips she would give to other people, and just really having a chat about it, really. And recently, I recorded a podcast with Mark Fitzgerald Cook about valuing a business. Um, Mark's like a, a, a broker for businesses. But we're going to be talking about the differences. Moira is going to go into lots of detail about that. But I'm going to stop talking now. And we're going to introduce Moira. Moira, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me along. And it's, uh, yeah, we were just talking about it. It's wonderful. Yeah. I joined you for episode one and you're already on 99. It's amazing. I know. Can you believe it? It's like nearly two years. That's fantastic. 99 weeks. But Maura, talk to me about um, your background. Uh, so big background was I had a corporate job. My background was in event and venue management. I realized I didn't want to be doing that anymore. Uh had this kind of calling to have my own business, but I wasn't quite sure quite what form it would take. Um, so I started um, working with the cyanotype process, which is an early photographic process, uh, created fine art prints and cards and so on, sold those online and through national um, shops and magazines and so on. But the that, again, just didn't feel quite right. So then I retrained in pattern design. That didn't feel quite right. Kind of wibbly wobbly journey here. Uh, <laughs> and eventually launched a subscription box. And it was a craft subscription box um, for adults where the idea is that every month you get to try a new craft, a new project um, to make things that you'd love to have in your home or, you know, the, the kind of things you'd actually go and buy, but you craft those things. And this is the business that you recently just That's the business that I sold, yes. And it's all very fresh because it is literally within the last couple of months of the business. It is, yeah. It was a couple of months ago. So. And how long had that business been trading? Had uh, you six been trading years. Six yeah, years. six years. So it literally started on the kitchen table. Um, <laughs> our very first box, we had 22 subscribers. And then over the years, grew it to multi-six-figure turnover. Um and then had, you know, fulfillment center. I've always kept it as a, uh, like location freedom was always important to me. So mm -hmm. I've always just run it from home, but have worked with the virtual freelancers to do, you know, customer service and design and film editing, all those kind of things. Uh, and then a fulfillment center would pack and ship the boxes. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's a kind of potted history of the journey of that business. And when you started it, was it always in your plan to sell it? No, not at all. I think when I started it, I had, I started it as almost as a, a way to kind of push away from what I didn't want to be doing anymore. So I didn't want to be in a corporate job anymore. I didn't want to be working for someone else anymore. I wanted to create my own business. Um, the thing that worked very well with the craft subscription box business 
is that I learned through that how to really create a product that resonates with customers, how to sell it, how to market it, how to run a business, and discovered that in the past, I thought I was looking for creativity, which is a kind of common strand that goes through all of those. But actually, the creativity of running a business was what excited me the most. Mm-hmm. So um, this, the prompt to sell it actually came probably a couple of years, two, three years into it. Alongside running that, I'd been doing, you know, we were just talking about networking, so on, um, before we started recording. I'd always been talking with other business owners and just naturally sharing advice, uh, talking to them about different things, seeing opportunities that they hadn't spotted yet. That was just part of like just being a nice human being and having conversations with people. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized actually I had this, this nudge to coach. I really wanted to coach. Um, so I started coaching alongside running the subscription box business. Um, and that was probably about two, three years in. I had the kind of, you know, do you know what? I want to coach. I think I'm ready to let the subscription box business go. But then COVID happened. So mm-hmm. we had uh, the, the subscription box business got a lot busier because people yeah. were um, in lockdown and crafting became more popular. And so it it saw a lift at that point in time. At the same time, my coaching was getting busier because people were like, okay, I need to suddenly pivot. I have a bricks and mortar shop or or suddenly this revenue stream is gone. Talk to me about, you know, your subscription box business yeah. and how that works. So it just got very busy and I parked the idea of selling at that point in time. And then last summer, uh, yeah, last summer, where are we, 2022, uh, I, at that point, I was like, yes, it's time. I'm ready to go fully into coaching now and to release a subscription box business. So the nudge to sell actually came from almost a recognition that I was ready to move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. which if you've got a day job, you just can't, you, you, you apply for a new job, you get a new job, yeah. you hand in your notice. Can't do that so easily when you're running a business. You're either pivoting the business or doing what I did. You kind of start a second business and then work out what you're going to do with these two babies that you have and which one's going to take prominence. So, um, so that was where the decision came from, was I just felt pulled in two directions and I wanted to go fully into coaching. And how did you approach the sale and finding a buyer? Um, I I did a lot of research. I did a lot of research and a lot of the, the information that's out there is, a lot of it's actually for bricks and mortar businesses. A lot of it is talking about things like, you know, pro, your premises valuation and yeah. so on. Um, and a lot of it felt a little bit um, like advice for suited businesses as well, whereas mine feels a little bit more, uh, a little bit more soft, a little bit more mm-hmm. creative. So basically just talked to a lot of people initially and found a few things that were surprising. One thing that surprised me was I talked to someone else who sold a business and they'd sold a different subscription box business when it was at about 100 subscribers. And that surprised me because I thought you needed to be talking about, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers. And there can sometimes be a perception that to sell a business, it has to be, you know, 500 grand plus turnover. Or mm-hmm. there are some people I talked to who wouldn't look at buying a business unless it was already a seven figure turnover. That's fine. But there are different people buying businesses at different stages and yeah. in different ways. Um, so the process I went through was having a good brainstorm about companies or small businesses where I thought it was a really good synergy and that they would see a value in that business. Um, and then basically I approached them. So I got myself ready. I had my presentation deck ready to go, which kind of talked through the a bit of the history of the business, um, some of the financials for it, like the key headline ones that I knew people would be interested in, and the opportunities I saw for where it could go next and be and grow. So mm-hmm. I found um, I had I think on the back of a napkin I probably had about a dozen businesses I immediately thought of that I could approach, 
And then we then did further research. My VA supported me with this. So I had her on board from the very beginning and telling her I was planning this process. Um, so she helped support me. And then she found another bunch of people. So all in all, we probably reached out to 20 odd different people and businesses. And initially it was a very simple, um, you know, I, I run this business. Uh, here's a couple of sentences that are kind of key information about it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a buyer for it. Is that something you'd be interested in exploring and having an initial conversation about? So just very soft, gentle, light touch, um, and also asking for their discretion in terms of yeah, yeah. more than that. The next stage was... Oh, sorry. Moira, can I just ask? So you didn't send, in that initial approach, you didn't send your pitch deck. You didn't send no. your investor deck no. or your, not investor deck, sorry, your, your, your pitch deck. It was very much a conversation email. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was literally maybe a couple of paragraphs very light, very chatty. I'm looking at doing this thing. Is this something you'd be interested in having a conversation about? Mm -hmm. So off the back of that, I had um, some people who were just kind of immediate, that sounds interesting, but no, it's not for us. So just not an interest in buying another business. Um, Others who just totally blanked me, which is fine. You always get an element of that. But then I did have, um, I'm trying to think how many we did, I think probably eight or 10 different conversations that then uh, where I would actually uh, hop on a Zoom call, go through the pitch, have an initial conversation with people. But prior to that, I did get everyone, pardon me, everyone who was going to then come in to have that conversation, we signed a non-disclosure agreement. So, yeah. um, and that's something, again, you and I have talked about before, but with this conversation and any conversation I now have about selling that business, it comes under that non-disclosure agreement. You know, it's kind of key to remember that that business now belongs to someone else. So while I can talk about a lot of the things that I found, the processes, I'm not going to be able to share the exact yeah. financials or the exact arrangement, uh, just in case people think that might be coming and wondering why I didn't <laughs> talk about it. That, that's why it's once you sell a business, it's then someone else's business. And so you'd be breaching confidentiality to share anything. So. Can I just ask on your investor deck, in terms of the opportunities and the where next, did you put financial figures against those as well in terms of what you felt the business could go? They were just your thoughts in terms of what the next step, the next, the, the new owner could do to bring it further. Yeah, they were the kind of key channels where I knew there was an opportunity to, to make more money or to grow the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a bunch of them, there were maybe half a dozen. So it was just saying, this is the opportunity I see for it to go on to its next phase. So mm-hmm. it was kind of just enough to get people's cogs turning and get excited about what could happen next if they decided to go ahead with the business. And you decided not to use a broker. You did all of this yourself. Mm-hmm. Any, what was your reasoning behind that? I did explore working with brokers. Um, I kind of found... I kind of found actually it reminded me a little bit of when you go to work with an estate agent for selling a house mm-hmm. and I've worked I've had great estate agents and I've had terrible estate agents when it's coming to selling a house and I think that was the feel when I when I actually drilled down to how much they charged and what they were going to do for that a lot of it was was essentially listing the business on business sale websites and they exist and you can do that yourself and that was going to be my phase two if I hadn't had any offers in for the business I was going to look at listing with the your business personal myself. Outreach. yeah right yeah so, so, so phase one was personal yeah phase two I probably have listed it myself on mm-hmm. those sites and phase the, the idea there is with with the the sites is that you could have anyone then coming in and asking questions and so on so I had already thought I'd probably put a little bit of a buffer in place, like just have a Hotmail account or a Gmail account that isn't tied to the business so that yeah. people couldn't necessarily... Connect the dots. Connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. But um, but Or using a broker. I think I did speak to one broker that really made me feel quite confident and like they knew what they were doing. And I got the sense that they weren't trying to sugarcoat it. 
I think with some of the brokers I spoke to, having done quite a bit of research, I had a fair idea about valuation ballparks. And sometimes people were saying, oh, we can get you three times that. And I was like, you're telling me that now. This is like buying a house. You're telling me my house is worth X. I know full well it'll go in the market, not sell for X. And then you've got to drop the price to in order yeah. for it to sell. So, um, so yeah, that was that was... It just felt more aligned to go and do the outreach and to have those conversations with people rather than going through the broker. But I knew it was another option down the line if I needed it. And obviously, it was a subscription box business with um, monthly recurring revenue. From and we're not going to talk about numbers, but from valuations point of view, what are the specific? Not specific. <laughs> what are the general? Um, you know, because you would have had a real community there in terms of can you put a value on the community? I think what you can like the way I think about so so the kind of key thing I heard about, I'll, I'll kind of answer the valuation and then get into that specific question. The key thing I found time and again was that a lot of businesses were being valued. If there's two things you can buy effectively if you're buying a business, you can either buy the whole business and you're planning to run that as a business, or you can buy an asset. So for example, say your direct competitor wants to buy your business, you're looking to sell, they may not want your whole business, they may just want your um, your products and your customer list. They don't need all your, your team, your SOPs, all that kind of stuff, your, your standard operating procedures. They just want, say, your customer list and some of the assets in the business. So the valuations that I heard for if you're buying a whole business were generally two to three times the net profit of the business averaged across the last three years. So what's your net profit of the business after everything else has gone out? Average that across three years. And then you're kind of looking at two to three times that. The idea being that someone would get their investment back within two to three years, and then they're just in pure profit after that. Yeah. Um, the caveat I'd say there is that then depends who you're selling to. Because if you're selling to someone who's going to run your business as so it's their business, that's probably a fair figure. If you're selling it to someone else who runs multiple businesses, they may then want to bring in an ops person who does what you used to do. And yeah. so they'd almost argue for taking the salary off of that figure because that's going to be part of the costs that haven't been incurred in the business so far. Yeah, I know what you mean, because depending on what salary you would have taken out of the business or paid yourself yeah. on the yeah, on the, exactly. on the books exactly. and stuff like that. And then on the community side. Yeah, so on the community side. So the key way I think about it is um, like, what would you want what would you find valuable if you were buying a business? Mm -hmm. So um, for example, if you've got a business that is turning over a certain amount, but actually profitability is not very high because all those sales are coming through or a lot of the sales are coming through advertising where you're, you're, you're paying for that audience. That's one thing. That's why subscription box businesses, I think are more attractive um, if someone's looking at a product business because you've got that recurring income there. In fact, any business that's got an element of recurring income becomes more attractive because of the community around it. But I think also if you can demonstrate that from a returning customer basis, as in you you'd maybe not have a subscription element to your business or a recurring payment element, but you can show that you have high customer retention that people come back yeah. to time and again, that in itself will, will show that value there. And um what about the timescales then? So it, it all happened, it happened quite quickly. Do you think that was because you were so targeted with who you approached? So, you know, if from thinking about it in summer 2022 to when did you start doing the initial outreach then? I think I started August, September, perhaps. I'm trying to remember. I think the people who ended up buying, I didn't reach till October though, perhaps. I'm trying to remember the exact dates because there was an element of reaching out to a bunch of people. Yeah. Okay, haven't got any bites here. Let's go to the next stage. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was a, there was an element of that. So, uh, and and also there were for a while concurrent conversations. So multiple people were interested for a while before we went. Okay, this is who we're going to go with. Um, 
So yeah, I, the thing again, hearing from other people is three to six months can often be the norm for okay. for putting a sale through. I think we were about six months from when I very start, first started the process to actually completing the sale. And in terms of what made you decide, I don't know if you can answer this one, <laughs> but you, you like you said, you had a couple of um, you know ongoing conversations with you know you know with people at, at the same time. What made you make the decision, or what kind of helped you make the decision to go with the business you went with? Um, I really liked them. (laughs) That was part of it. Um, Because what the business is, like the team went with the business. So the the VA who does all the kind of customer support and and, um, like kind of wing woman to to what I had been doing, Uh, the, the designer, you know, all the team went with the business. And I was like in an ideal world, if I'd only had one offer, I'd cross that bridge if I came to it. But in an ideal world, I really wanted to sell to someone who I thought the team would get on with, where there was a good dynamic, where they felt like nice people. And yeah. also where I could see that they had the potential and experience, uh, attitude to to grow the business, to take it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I, that was, for me, really exciting. The idea that I'd hand what was originally my baby that started on the kitchen table to someone else and then they'd grow it further. Really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that the team would be part of that journey. So that was part of it. Um, obviously money is an element to it. Um, I definitely had one offer that wasn't, you know, once you pay for legal and accountancy costs, it was kind of a packet of crisps and 10 pence. So I, that was a, that was a no. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but actually it was as much about who, do I feel is going to, it was partly who do I feel is going to be good for the team? Because yeah. I had, they had supported me. They had, you know, they, they have consistent income themselves from it. So there was a sense of, I want that to continue for these people who've helped me grow this business mm-hmm. and that they enjoy the, the experience of working with the new buyers as well. And what do you think, is there anything that you would have done differently now that you're, I know that you're not fully through the process yet because you're still having handovers and stuff, but is there anything that you feel that you would have done differently through the process? I think honestly, I would have done more to try and soothe and calm my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, love the buyers. And it's not about, it's not a reflection on the people who've bought it, but just the simple process of doing a sale. You're you're holding this thing in the air for a prolonged period of time. And at any point, someone could go, do you know what? It's not working. Let's move away. Um, yeah. So the, and there's a lot of investment of time. I reckon between like all the reach outs, all the meetings, all the discussions with different people, it's easily a couple of hundred hours work, if not more, through the process of the sale. So it almost became a third business in addition to the two hours running. Yeah. Um, and I think at each stage, I thought, oh, we're nearly done. You know, at yeah. various stages, I thought, oh, we're nearly done. I just need to like keep going. We're just deep breath. We're almost there. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think actually, if I'd kind of known it was even more of a marathon than I thought it was. I knew it wasn't going to be a sprint, but I knew I didn't necessarily know what was involved. Like when people said three to six months, I was like, oh yeah, we can do it in three. And it ended up being six. So there's that. Um, and I think just having peace with, with the fact that it's up in the air until it actually all happens. And when it went through, you know, this is a business you've had for six years, you've mm-hmm. grown it from your kitchen table. It's obviously a personal attachment to yes. it. Yeah. How did you feel when it was when it went through? And how do you feel now about it? Uh really excited. Really excited. Although I think where your question perhaps comes in, it for me it was about a month prior to the sale going through. Okay. I was chatting with one of my coaches and um in that conversation realized that my identity was going to be shifting. 
Mm. that I had seen myself as a subscription box director for years and I coached yeah and suddenly I was going to just be a coach and that was like there was a moment of just like a, a shock of almost fear that went through me followed by just pure excitement and delight and like I know coaching is what I'm meant to be doing so um and it's what I have been doing for years but it, there was an identity shift from it being a bit of both to mm. purely being a coach Thankfully, that happened prior to the sale. So I was already giddy and excited to get going with coaching before we had the kind of handing over the keys. And I think yeah, um, yeah. going back to my little house moving analogy, that that's what it felt like when you get the keys to your new house and you're in the empty living room and you go, oh, my God, did it actually happen? Is this a new house? That was how it felt in the moment of the sale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is such a good analogy, I think, you know. Because there's people that are listening that will have poured blood, sweat and tears into the business. And, yes. you know, and you you had everyone has their own motivation for selling. You you were ready to move on to something new. Some people may not be ready to move on to something yes. new, but may have to move on, may need to sell the business for financial yes. reasons or yes. they've taken it to wherever they can take it or 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 whatever it might be. You know, and I do I can imagine it's it is it's like packing up your house and going, it's the next chapter, isn't it? You know, I would give some thought to that ahead of time. Because I think that's where it can feel like if you've not given any thought to it, it can feel like falling off a cliff. Even if you're saying to yourself, I'm going to give myself three months to just be and then I'll be ready to build into whatever the next things is. Um, It is that thing of just like you're going, you're going, you're going. It's so intensive, particularly if you're running your business and you're selling it at the same time. It's an additional workload. And then suddenly it stops. Suddenly you're you're standing in the living room with the keys. Um, So, yes, having a little think about how you're going to manage that for yourself and how you think about things I definitely I give some pre-thought to that before you're standing before you're standing there going oh my god it's gone through what to do now what did you do to celebrate uh, we went to um, Prashad which is a, a wonderful Indian restaurant near us in Yorkshire <laughs> I'll have, well I'm in Yorkshire too I'll have to give that I'll have to give that a go and um, I'd be like yeah I went on a holiday I'm just like chilled out now but but you've obviously you're about to start you know you're you already were running two businesses before you sold the subscription box one and what are your plans now um my plans are to just focus on the coaching which is really really exciting um I actually had a little bit of a journey with coaching as well. So when I first started coaching, it was very much with businesses on um, largely creative or people who think creatively, who were struggling with the structure of the business and stuck in the day-to-day and um, needed help with systems and outsourcing and so on. So that's what I originally started doing. And then again, when COVID happened, I pivoted to focusing on helping people grow and launch a subscription box business. and with the sale, I realized that actually I want to go back to just working with people on the whole thing. It's not just subscription boxes. It's it's about creating a business that's very much in alignment with your strengths and what you love doing and yeah. is profitable. And a lot of people, I think, get stuck in the day-to-day and don't feel like they've got the capacity or the bandwidth to do that. So um, so that's been exciting as well. There's been a, a bit of a shift there to go back to what I started with, which is um, supporting people a little bit more widely rather than just purely with the subscription right. box. Although I am working with subscription box as well as other businesses now as well. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give to someone who's considering selling their own business? Um, I think, first of all, just be aware of what you're getting into. Uh, and, and again, it's kind of like how long is a piece of string there? If you're just selling something or you want to sell something quickly, you could take a lower price from it. Like you can, the way I sold is not the only way by any means to sell a business. 
Um, but given so many people said to me three to six months and then it was six months, I think just be prepared for it potentially being that. Um, I'd also say get your business ready to sell. So I'd already naturally just to give myself more breathing space to focus on coaching, pulled myself out of the business quite a bit. So I already had someone handling all the customer service um, and a lot of the day-to-day running of the business. We had great systems in place. Um, We had standard operating procedures, so it was easy to pick up and run with things. Where I started initially designing the craft projects myself, I'd already outsourced that. So someone else was designing and filming and editing. All of that was already in place. So making that attractive to a buyer was like they could come in and they could see that they just needed to run it strategically. And I own creativity, but largely strategically. And then the rest of the machine was already there for them. So I think that is a part as well is just how do you make your business as attractive as possible to a buyer, whether that's just really going all out and making it as profitable as possible, having the systems and the team in place so that you're so that they don't look at the business and go, the business looks great, but you are fundamental to it and we can't run the business without you. Yeah. And and I think that's where where some people will be who are listening are going, right, okay. I am this business. I, you know, it doesn't work without without yes. me. Yeah. Um, what time frame did that take? You know, and it might have been staggered in terms of as you were dialing back out of things. Yeah. But how long did that take you to kind of step back out? I, I did it with a different motivation. So I did it gradually. And I also did it by myself, if that makes sense. So I uh, I was just gradually, I think probably that took me over maybe a year, but I now work as a coach with people where we do that kind of thing in three to six months. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think if someone's there saying, okay, this is what you need to have set up uh, to hold space for you going through the mindset challenges of say outsourcing, if you feel like you need to do everything yourself, all those kind of aspects are part of it. It's not just the, what you need to have in place, but getting on board with making those things happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this is what you need to outsource and you need to start doing that now. You know, this is what you need to outsource and and whatever, get the um, freelance people or or team involved. And how can people, if people want to work with you now, how, where can they find you and how can they work with you? Yeah, certainly. So, um, so people I often work with now, just to kind of so you know if it's you, <laughs> or uh, feel like they're stuck in a hamster wheel and like they don't have time to do the strategic, exciting stuff or the projects that they want to work on to grow. So what I do is enable people to think about things in a different way, to put in those very practical steps to create more breathing space in their business and then run their business and grow their business in a different way. So if that sounds interesting, if you'd like to learn more, you can check out what I do at moirafuller.co.uk and also invite you to join my weekly newsletter, which is all around creating a more aligned business that's tailored to your strengths. Um, you can also find me on Instagram if that's more your thing, which is Moira Fuller underscore. Fantastic. And they, we will link all those in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for joining me today, Moira, and congratulations again on selling the business. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, if you're thinking of selling your business, good luck. It's an exciting journey. Um, but if you feel like it's the right next step for you, then cheering you on 100%. And I'll be back again next week, which will actually be the 100th episode then. Uh, with another great guest and thank you again Maura